1: Well, hi, y'all. Welcome to Assembling Avengers. I'm so glad you're here. We have a very special show for you. I'm Miss Minutes, and with me, as always, is um, the amazing, well, would we call him amazing? That's probably what they call him, John Mills. I'm
0: 1,000 variants wrapped up in a (laughs) pantsuit. That's what I am. You know, that's all I'll it's ever so be. True. Honestly,
1: it's so true. Yes. Uh, well, we are lost in the world of variants and the time variant authority, variants authority and whatever they call it these days. Uh, it is It is exciting to be back here as we are going to be talking about our third Disney Plus show in a row with Loki uh, and the return of, of course, Tom Hiddleston as Loki. But uh, before we dive in, of course, you know, we always want to say thank you to everybody who listens. We do really appreciate you spending your time with us here in the 602 Club. And of course, specifically here with Assembly Avengers. We hope you're enjoying the journey. We'd love it if you would reach out to us over on social media. You can find the entire network at the 602 Club. And of course, we're on Instagram at the 602 Club TFM. Please, you know, Let people know about the show. Let us know what you think of the show over there on social media. Get that conversation going. If you want to continue that conversation, we've got a listeners-only discussion group, too, on Facebook called The Babel Conference. You can join. You can talk to listeners from all over the world. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash trek.fm or online at trek.fm. And uh, we'd really appreciate it if you do us a favor and just make sure you're subscribed on whatever pod-catching device you are using so you'll get the shows as soon as they drop. We'd also appreciate it if you gave us reviews on any of those podcatchers that allow you to do that, like Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Last but not least, we would like to say uh, we could really use your help over on Patreon. Uh, this network can't run without listeners just like you. So go to patreon.com slash trekfm and see how you can be part of our team and just make sure all of these great shows keep coming to you each and every week. So... John, the the best part about this is that you have not seen any of these shows yet, uh, and I think you've seen very little in uh, Phase 4 at all. I think No Way Home might have been the only thing you've seen so far.
0: Yes, No Way Home is the only thing that I saw on the big screen because everybody raved about it so much that it was one of those ones I had to go see right. it. The hype, the word of mouth got me in yep. that theater, and I think the box office of that movie proves that word of mouth was really strong for that, that film. Um, but yeah, I saw... WandaVision, and then if everybody recalls the last episode, I hit the end of Falcon and the Winter Soldier, and I was like, I, I got to take a break here. I was I was ready for a breather. And so, yeah, Loki, this is my first, I came at it fresh. The only thing I really knew about it was that it had to do with time. I knew that it had to do with Loki, and I knew that there was and Owen Wilson was in it, which always delights me. Um, and that's pretty much all I knew about it.
1: So I want to ask you about that too, because you know, of course, the last time that we saw uh Tom Hiddleston's character of Loki, it was end end game, and he picks up the Tesseract when they go back in time, which allows him to be able to escape. And so the thought of there being more Loki at that point, you know, and we've gone through all the Thor movies up to this point, you know, through three, we haven't reached, of course, Love and Thunder yet, and you know, Loki's been Back and forth and all over the place, it seems like. Did anything about the idea of him possibly coming back, was that exciting at all to you? Was he a character that you were kind of done with at that point? You know, where were you even just coming into this show for the first time? I just considered it inevitable. I remember the first time I saw
0: Endgame seeing Loki, you know, disappear with the Tesseract. I was like, okay, they're setting something up. I didn't know specifically what, but I was like, did. They're not going to have this scene without it being something. And uh, so it it was just that air of inevitability. I was uh, saying this when I was talking with a friend of mine uh, on the phone where I was talking about this is my first time seeing Loki and everything. Is Tom Hiddleston is really good at this part. Yes, he is. And people enjoy Tom Hiddleston in this part. And Tom Hiddleston seems to have fun with this part. And they pay him. So he is... He is a very intelligent actor in my opinion because he's making what I would call the Carol O'Connor choice. You want to keep paying me to play Archie Bunker and everybody loves me as Archie, Archie Bunker, I'll play it until it's run into the ground. I don't care because I'm having fun, you're paying me and people want to see it. Why wouldn't I keep doing it? This is there it doesn't have that air of oh, well, I'm tired of the role. I don't want to play this for the rest of my life. It's more an air of, I'm a performer. Performing's what I do, and people like what I'm doing. Why wouldn't I keep doing it? So that's how I feel about Tom Hiddleston. I'm always happy to see him because I know that he's legitimately enjoying what he's doing.
1: You know, it's it's interesting that the actors from the Thor movies are the ones who have felt that way because obviously uh, Chris Hemsworth is down to play as long as they'll let him, it seems like. And I think he enjoys it, especially with the direction that they've gone. I think he enjoys the humor in the part much more, even if I don't. Um, And I'm not going to tell that to his face because, you know, he could crush me like a worm. Um, But I'm with you. I mean, I I like Tom Hiddleston as Loki. I think the character had evolved really interestingly. Um, I think by the time you got to the end of Infinity War... And, you know, with the beginning of that movie, him sacrificing himself, you know, the character had come a long way. And, um, and and so one of the things I wanted to ask you, you know, just especially since you're so fresh with this, this whole series, in many ways, besides any of the ti- time craziness and, and the time variance authority and all that, this show really does seem to be about Loki having one long therapy session to legitimize Mm. him becoming more of a hero than even an anti-hero by the end of the show. And, uh, you know, with that being one of the real purposes of of us doing this show, do you feel like they're successful in that to sell you the fact that everything the character's been through before— And then all of these experiences here where he's basically having to come face-to-face with the man or the woman in the mirror, uh, you know, does it work for you? By and large, yeah.
0: I I actually buy Loki's evolution in this show. It's probably the first time that they've taken the character on any sort of journey where I feel like they're not going to cheat me and undo it at the end. Right? I, I... know that we have a season two, because it says at the end of it, season two is coming. If they revert Loki, I'll feel incredibly betrayed by this one. I go back and listen to the recordings. I feel betrayed in some sense by the fact that they would always revert Loki and move him forward, and then revert him back, and move him forward, and revert him and back. And the same thing with Thor. This time... I mean,
1: that's kind of his problem. Same
0: thing with Thor, absolutely. But here with this show, probably because they... It had like an actual arc over a number of episodes. It doesn't feel like a a necessary movie development. It feels like this actually is Loki's story. And I actually go with him from beginning to finish. Mm-hmm. It actually stays focused on him and it actually carries through. And I buy his incremental transformation by the end of
1: it. Yeah, I, I think that one of the hallmarks of this show itself... Is the fact that I I think in many ways and and something that, you know, they hadn't really been doing in the Thor movies. But something they do here is they take the character and their journey seriously. And, you know, when I made the, you know, Michael Jackson joke about the man in the mirror. I mean, that's legitimately the process that Loki is going through as he is constantly faced with himself with his previous actions you know he has to you know relive many of his worst moments over and over and over again and to be able mm-hmm. to do that and then that allows him then to be able to you know put himself in the shoes of those people who received all of those actions to which he did you know he is able to come down to the the reason that he wanted to do those things which is he wanted the control he wanted people to quote unquote love him you know and and it worked itself out in these kind of megalomaniacal actions uh and you know to i think the frustrating thing about many you know redemption type arcs and things is is where you don't really do a lot of the hard work in a lot of the hard, tough lifting to make somebody come to terms with who they have been and what it's going to mean to like reverse that. And, you know, I, I think that's one of the things that that, you know, that end sequence between him and Sylvie arguing uh, in front of Kang. He truly, you you believe, finally, that Loki is not doing this for the power. He is truly worried about The entire multiverse, you know, the entire galaxy, uh, all of time and space that are right now uh, in his hands, in which if he makes the wrong choice, he could destroy trillions, quadrillions of lives uh, if he makes the wrong choice. And he doesn't want to be responsible for that again. And, uh, And I think the show does a good enough job... So that by the time I get to the end, I actually believe that he's sincere for the first time and maybe all the times we've seen him on screen.
0: Well, I I think the reason we believe he's sincere is it's not just that he's afraid of costing people something. He legitimately conveys, Hiddleston legitimately conveys fear of somebody who understands what it means that something worse could come after this. Right, right. And that's where the knowledge of the Loki character helps because, you know, he's been through this thing where then everything builds up to Thanos, the one moment that he can't talk or sneak his way out of. And he suddenly realizes all of these things that he's gone through built Mm -hmm. up to one point where there was just somebody so awful that they couldn't be stopped. And so he has reason to believe that he who is not named Kang yet could be the backstop against the truly terrible thing happening. And that's why I think also that, that sting at the end of him running in and realizing where he is and seeing the statue of Kang, or I'm sorry, he who must not be named Kang yet, you know, like seeing that statue and that's giving the the confirmation to the audience that Loki's fears were justified yeah. and that he was yeah. coming from a place of at least emotional knowledge that it was true.
1: Yeah, no, I I hundred percent agree with you, and I, I think it it makes um, everything that you've been through with the character mean so much. And and then of course there is that emotional gut punch—the fact that he has begun to really care about other people and create these relationships, and you know, then to see him at a place where you know Mobius doesn't know who he is, and and Sylvie has you know betrayed him in many ways in a way that most people haven't in fact might be the worst betrayal he's ever experienced because you know nobody else has really ever betrayed him he's always betrayed others you know and so now you he actually knows what that feels like uh i guess that's what happens when you fall in love with yourself so
0: well even that's a really interesting thing for them to have done is it feels a little bit inevitable as a gag and so when it first plays, it does feel like, oh, they're going for this joke. But I have to give the series credit that they really lean into it and turn it into that into that legitimate love story where you really realize that you could – let's put it this way. For once, it's, it's Marvel backing away from the joke. Yeah, that's a good point. And not just making it a gag, mm-hmm. but actually going in and having it work really well. And that's a pleasant change. Like, th- if anything, this is the first time that I feel like I see Marvel as a franchise learning from where they went too far with other things. And that's what's so pleasing about it is you look at it and you say, oh, it's learning it's It's growing, it's changing. I can dig this
1: no, and I, I agree with you there because I think absolutely you could have just played the whole relationship with Sylvie and you know himself uh as a joke and 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 what I think is really interesting is that you know that by by doing that, you're also getting to really talk about the ways in which you know different people turn out to be different in, you know, different circumstances. The idea of the, you know, could the same person be a different person uh, under different nurture? Uh, and absolutely, that's that's mm-hmm. what we see. And so that's, you know, who Sylvie ends up turning into, uh, which, you know, I, I think makes her a great foil for Loki, of course, uh, because he is basically fighting himself. But he's also fighting a version of himself that, Knows how to do things with the powers that he does have, but he doesn't really realize he has, and so he's he's kind of outmatched in some of those ways, which is is cool as well. So you know, I thought the portrayal of of Sylvie was great. Uh, the relationship that they end up having is is so interesting, and you know, it it really does make me wonder too. Will they be able to find a way for, you know, them to come back together and and then basically, I guess, try to rectify the situation that they've, well, she created. Uh, So I, I got to say, I
0: don't think they can. I think they have to have it remain as a uh, Sam and Diane.
1: Yeah, they could do that. Or even Sam and
0: Rebecca situation. If they ever get them together, it'll go like uh, moonlighting. Once they got them together, the show just falls apart because the core piece of its tension just, it just sort of fizzles because it's, it's that tension and that, you know, this is another tip of the hat, but Hiddleston as an actor is always a joy to watch in these projects because there's something about him as a person that his co-stars Seem to really have actual chemistry with him. Yeah. Regardless yeah. of what I think of the film overall. People interact with him. I buy the characters. Because Hiddleston is a yeah. great anchor around which to put everybody. And that, that can't be undersold. He, or over. I'm sorry. That shouldn't be undersold. It can't be oversold. How key that is to what mm. works in this show.
1: You know. Just real quickly. You know. I I think. We know this has a second season and it, I think yeah. you'd obviously if, if they're ever going to be, if they were to put them together, you know, officially or whatever, it would have to be one of those things where it's like, we're not really going to ever see them again, you know? And, uh, Cause I think you're right. I think that sexual chemistry and energy that they have on screen really comes from the, will they, won't they uh, more so than anything else. And, and I think you're, references to to those relationships where that happens and it kind of ruins whatever it is you're watching, especially in a show, uh, definitely makes sense. And so, um, I, I, you know, because we've talked about Loki and his growth and everything, um, this might seem a weird thing to jump to, but I just want to jump to the end and the way in Mm -hmm. which this show creates this really interesting philosophical conundrum and you know what they're playing with, you know, I mean, obviously we're playing with the ideas of, of like free will or is it, you know, better for somebody else to be in control? Because if, if that wasn't the case, it could be so much worse. And I mean, those are some really big and interesting questions for, something like the mcu to be asking and does it work better than the large questions that falcon and winter soldier were trying to ask that we kind of struggled with because we didn't feel like they were giving them their due really i
0: think that why it works here is because they commit to it early and they stay committed to it falcon and the winter soldier doesn't address anything particularly well and it tries to do too much this very much has that whole question of why are they doing this? What is the ultimate end goal? Why does it exist? How does it exist? And so these are all questions that go along until you hit that ending and the ending feels organic to what's come before. In terms of the philosophical question, I know that I know that this is my controversial take on everything, but The Infinity Saga really seems to be about struggling with the idea of of God. And in a sense, the Avengers kill God because, you know, the whole Thanos thing and everything. And it's a similar sort of thing of there's somebody who wants to be in control of all because chaos is unfathomable. It's not the right thing to have all of this chance and free will and all of that stuff. And the Avengers are... Coming back against somebody who wants to control it all. Whereas Loki gets to the end and finds out that somebody's always been in control of it all. And so there is that sort of tense question that everybody has philosophically. If there's an ultimate being, is everything scripted? Is it unavoidable? And what does that mean for your personal choices if it is unavoidable? And, you know, We both love Star Wars. There's that sort of larger question of what role of free will and destiny does every, you know, how does that intermingle? Anakin's destined to be the chosen one, but he has free will and choices along the way, right? Otherwise, what was the point of the ride? Because he's guilty of nothing if he couldn't ever choose. And so, you know, I I do think that's an interesting thing. But then you're what I think is smartly left at the end, I'll throw this out to you. I think that there is a big question of how honest he who must not be named Kang is at the end. How much of it is true because Sophie doesn't (laughs) trust him. Right. And Sylvie. Not Sylvie. Sorry. Sophia DiMartino plays the role. So that's (laughs) one thing. So Sylvie doesn't trust Loki is quick to believe because of his own past experiences, and so I think that's the the interesting thing is: Do you believe Kang that he's telling the absolute truth at the end there, or is he manipulating them and telling them bits of the truth, like a Kaiser Soze thing? There's some truth in here, but it's not
1: all true. I, you know, I think that's the the paramount question for the end of the show is, is can you trust what Kang is saying? And I think what it will be interesting is that that will probably be answered in Quantumania, where we know Kang, the conqueror is going to show up and whether or not he is basically another version of this character or the same one will be very interesting.
0: I, I just, I want I want to throw out there that, Key to this is, you know, we have. I think rightly, you know, heat praise on Hiddleston. I think that Sophia Di Martino she does a great job. Yeah, as Sylvie, hundred um, percent. She's very key to everything working. I think that uh, the rest of the cast, you know, Owen Wilson, uh, Mabatha Raw, um, all of these people are great. But I really think I believe his name's Jonathan mm-hmm. Majors. Yep, is who plays mm-hmm. Kang. Really interesting. The choices he makes, and I have to applaud the direction they let him make interesting choices at the end. Do I agree with every choice he made in in that interaction? I don't know debatable, but at the very least it was interesting. It wasn't it It's sort of like um just talked about Casino Royale over on house lights
1: fantastic bond movie
0: and and largely because. Uh, the villain in that doesn't, he's not your typical Bond villain. Yes. And this is not your typical Marvel villain. This is not Thanos part two. This is somebody who seems a little nuts, who's, who's very unstable, and is such a good manipulator that Loki, like, Loki is a manipulator who's being manipulated here. Like, And so the personality choices are extremely interesting. And I think that entire interchange is really interesting. So the three of them together, but I got to give them credit if they're if they're pushing all chips in on majors being the villain for the next phase. I got to say I'm interested. This could go in some interesting ways. Yeah,
1: I, it was interesting because I was doing a, just a little bit of reading, and and uh, he had said that some inspirations for him were Wizard of Oz, Sunset Boulevard. Citizen Kane and Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. I yeah. can see them all, um, and and I, I agree with you because you know it was interesting watching it the first time, and my reaction was different the second time because I really gravitated towards what Majors was doing in the just the spontaneity and the weirdness of it. You know, I mean, you you realize when he says he's lived millions of lives, you know, if you've been alone mm-hmm. that long and all you've got to talk to is Miss Minutes, I think you might be a little nuts, you know? And so, mhm, I thought his choice to to play it like that made so much sense. And so no, I th- I think you calling him out was was really uh important because It is the unexpected that happens in this show. Something like that, which I think is for me kind of does set it above the first two shows that we've seen so far. And I would also say, I think, and I don't know if you'd agree with this, but I think that this show is tonally completely consistent from start to finish. I don't feel like there was any point where you know, you got a weird gear shift and you're just like, what? Completely agree. And that actually sets it somewhat
0: above other Marvel properties because it is consistent. And I think a large part of that is having the same director is very important. Um, I think that Kate Heron does a good job. I have sort of, one of my typical sort of complaints with the Marvel shows up to this point. I don't think the action is particularly well shot. Um, I think they try a few too many uh, energy cheats where they try to make camera motion and editing stand in mm-hmm. for good fight choreography, or rather, I should say great fight choreography, but this is largely yeah, we're in the era of John yeah. Wick. The expectation's a little it's very different. True. Having just and watched it the might first not two be of fair. Absolutely. Yeah. Might not be fair, but it's, this is the world we're living in. Yeah. Um,
1: no, I agree. Uh, you and, know, so. And just that whole idea of, you know, uh, the look and the feel of the show, I, I would say this, you know, when we get to the TVA and we've got those first couple of episodes, This show is just really consistent in its look, uh, and it does a really good job, Mm -hmm. I think, with the set decoration and the, just the, I I love the, you know, the 1970s inspired futurism that we're getting, uh, and, you know, the the technology, again, just kind of has this, like, retro punk feel to it, Uh, it's, it's everything about that looks really cool. As you're calling out uh, the just the action and choreography in that sense, I, I think you know once we go to space and we and I think the show doesn't quite have the same look and feel. And part of that is just because the effects work here is never good. Uh, it's it's fine, it's serviceable, yes. but it feels more like a CW show than it does like what you want you know, this type of show to feel like or even a Marvel, mo- I mean this is one of the things I think we are we f- get frustrated with with the Marvel movies even um, is that they just don't have the the, the the polish that we would expect
0: they, well I, and th- this is my crude way of saying it, but it is my way of saying it, that Marvel has entered a phase, and I think that When you have inconsistent or unexpectedly not phenomenal work on the backgrounds, for instance, or the the camera move matches and stuff like that, or the the comp, you know, just the the comping of everything. And when they're walking and they're tiny on a landscape and you're like, they're they're not even moving in the right proportion to everything. Yep. That type of thing is because Marvel has hit the phase of effort it, you're going to watch anyway. Why should we break our backs making it perfect? We know you're going to watch. They, like, it is... This is going to sound terrible. But we're at the point in the relationship where maybe somebody's not trying as hard as they used to because they know that you're already in love with them. So, maybe, just maybe they're not putting the best effort forward because you know that the, the mask yeah. can slip a little bit here and there that's now kids. That's not to say that relationships are not work and it's obviously not a one-to-one because in a relationship, both people have to make sure that they're living up to their end of the bargain. And this right. is merely entertainment, but I'm just trying to use an analogous thing where we all sort of feel like we're in a relationship with Marvel. And right now at the moment that Loki comes out, it just feels like, There's not as much effort to surprise and delight us as there used to be.
1: Well, and, uh, you know, I I think it's it's the difference between, you know, the frustrations that I think we both shared about the look and the feel of Kenobi versus, you know, what we're experiencing right now with the look and the feel of Andor. Right, one looks like a premiere television and/or movie every single week with the the quality level, and the other one feels like a TV show. Yes, it feels like a network TV show, as
0: opposed to even a streaming show. But uh, you know what i'll I'll even I'll even go a step further and infuriate people with this. It's like the inconsistent effects work in The Last Jedi versus the stellar effects work in Solo, a Star Wars story. If you look at those two movies together, I, I, I point at one of them and I say, why isn't this one up to par here? Why, yeah. why is this one stronger? I want consistency, is what I want. And I know that costs money. It takes time and all of that talent. But you've, you're Marvel. You have that time and that money; you can do that. You part of my money is what made that possible. So spend, you know, spend my money wisely, investors. Right? That board needs to get out there and, and, and make sure that that it's consistent and top notch. I mean, what I think makes the the effects work that we're we're hacking on here frustrating in this context. Is that the other production design, as you point out, is so good and interesting? When I'm in the TVA and I see the what they've set up around them and the costume, even the costume design, I love Loki. Yes. that, that yes. shirt that Loki has—that's like I want one of those shirts.
1: So you wear it to work, I'm like that yeah, I wear a tie every exactly.
0: day. Yeah, I wear a tie every day. I want that shirt. That's a pretty interesting looking shirt. And and I love the the the. The way they design the sets, I love the way they do this, the way they do that, and then, like you said, you go out to space and it's like, oh, well, this doesn't look the same. This doesn't feel as authentic mm-hmm. or
1: as visually interesting, even. Yeah, no, I I could not agree with you more. You know, everything with the TVA just it, it just oozes the fact that somebody spent a ton of time thinking about the production design of that place and making it sure you felt like this place existed uh and that was the thing that i loved when we were spending time there um and you know then you know when we go to these other worlds and and those kind of things you know it it i think the other issue here in many ways is that it would have helped if they were using a volume, and they're not. And those scenes, I think, would have been helped if they had been able to use a volume, uh, because that's kind of what a volume is for. So I agree. Although
0: the volume doesn't always that depends and, well, on that's who just 100% the, true. the DP is. One hundred
1: percent true.
0: But but so long as so long as we, I mean, we keep coming back to the TVA, obviously, because it's it's the. The, the linchpin of everything, and the TVA is really super interesting. There is one thing I wish they hadn't done, though. And they, they, they break sort of a rule that I have personally. Very quickly, they wind up diminishing what we saw in the Infinity Saga. Oh. <laughs> when we see a drawer full of Infinity Stones. Yeah. And they're like, oh yeah, we use them as paperweights. My reaction to that is that is the Marvel cheap joke because you just diminished
1: mm-hmm. everything yeah. I went through. Yeah, I through. hear what you're saying.
0: And it's, it's that classic sort of dysfunctional thing that you say to somebody, lift yourself up. Don't tear others mm-hmm. down by tearing down the infinity
1: saga in any way. Uncool, man. Way uncool. Yes. Yes. And I mean, I, I, I it makes sense for how they do the story, but I feel like they could have found a different way to help you see that those things are meaningless to them without making it feel as though they were just turning it into a joke, like you said. And, you know, if if they had been able to do that, I think it would have worked. But you're absolutely right. You turn it into a joke and... It just, it it does, it, it's one of the few jokes in the show that I feel like just doesn't work. Um, whereas, on a completely different note, I, I was just completely stunned again by how perfect the casting of Owen Wilson was because there are very few people who can play against Tom Hiddleston's Loki and give the same type of like snarky response the way that he does and be toe to toe in that way uh and owen wilson mm-hmm. just he's so effortless in this role he's so great yeah. and 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 in all honesty what's what's heartbreaking about it is how much you feel for this character because he is tr- he's somebody who's truly believed in something and had it completely stripped away. Uh, You know, we just talked about Tales of the Jedi on the 602 Club, and one of the things we mentioned, you mentioned there, was just how Dooku having, you know, uh, everything that he believed in feels like that stripped away from him uh, when he realizes what, you know, the Jedi and the Republic really are doing uh, and what they've become. And, you know, you see that happen here to this character, Mobius, and I think they just have done a great job with creating a character that, you one, you care about, you really enjoy watching on screen. And, you know, you're definitely hoping the whole time, please don't let him die. Please don't let him die. Uh,
0: I, the way I feel about Owen Wilson is the way that my buddy Joey, his dad, his late father, God rest his soul, love you, Mr. T, miss you. Um, he always said that he loved seeing John Lovitz in movies because every time John Lovitz walked on, he smiled because he just knew that Lovitz was going to do something he liked. I feel that way about Owen Wilson. I think that Owen Wilson does not get enough credit. I don't think that his star is big enough. I think that people really, really sleep on the talent that that guy has because, yes, he's very funny. Yes, he can go toe-to-toe with somebody like Hiddleston, and that chemistry, that spark is there, and the, the, the way he can deliver uh, a, a jab is really funny. The way he even takes it in that very unassuming sort of like, well, yeah, okay, I guess so. Like, that's really disarming and fun, but wrapped up in that is his ability to make you believe that Mobius' heartbreak is authentic. Mm-hmm. yeah. You point. feel so bad for Mobius because he's in a moment and Wilson has that is able to give you that hangdog expression where you look at him and you want to give him a hug because you realize this is like this is like the kid coming downstairs and discovering something no kid should discover on Christmas. Yes,
1: it's a great point,
0: right? He's able to he's able to get that sadness across and that's what makes his humor work so well is you like him. He gives that he gives that aura of likability mm-hmm. that is incredibly key for any actor yep. to be successful. And uh yeah, so sorry, I know I'm rambling, no, but no. Owen Wilson is the kind of guy where if you put him in a movie, I'm like, okay, I'm interested. I'll watch this. Yeah,
1: no, I I'm I'm just right there with you. I I I think rewatching the show, I kind of felt more For his character and just what he does, you know, and I I think you're 100 right. You know, in a role like this, he's not getting enough credit. But really, I think what he's doing is just so pitch perfect in every single moment. The look he gives, the just the the little quip, the way he's able to deliver it, the 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 tenor of his voice when he does those type of lines. I mean, that that takes a lot of work to be able to hone that craft the way he does and I just he does a great job with it so yeah
0: he does and that's what makes some of the shortcomings of the show frustrating as well again talking about the performances but there's almost a part of me that wonders if they fell so in love with the concept and with the performances they knew they were going to get I know this isn't how it works but I and I want I want to put this out there to you that I think that the most the most difficult thing for this show to overcome is how many episodes there are. This is another show it's done in 6 episodes it feels like it could have been done in 4 maybe 5. 4 might be pushing it. I tend to be too brutal with this type of assessment. So I'll concede it's maybe one episode too long but it is at least one episode mm-hmm. too long because we know where we're going. Yes, we have a surprise. I would not cut that last episode, right. but I do know in my heart of hearts that there are certain parts we could have gotten through quicker because they feel a little redundant.
1: Mm-hmm. No, I'm so glad you brought that up because you know that is one of the things to which I felt as well. And I would pinpoint episode three and episode five being the biggest offenders of that. And yes, you know, I I feel as though both of those episodes could have been combined into other episodes. So you had maybe slightly longer episodes on either side and it would have just worked, I think, better. Uh, And so in all honesty, I do think four is actually a better number here. Um, You know, maybe five. Uh, but I, you know, I, I I do think that there are places where you can do the same things and you can do them just as effectively without having to spend quite so much time. And I'll, I'll specifically point out as much as I love meeting all the Lokis, which is fun and it is great as, you know, Richard Grant is with a classic Loki costume I don't think that we need basically a whole episode to really be in that world and and then to get, you know, Mobius and Sylvie together and then, you know, face off uh, against the big monster for them to then make it. You could really cut that down, I think. Um, And the same thing with that third episode where, you know, they just spend so much time on that train and then getting knocked off the train and then getting there and you know, it's just
0: Could have exactly. gotten there so much faster. And
1: that's not to say that the emotional beats and stuff that, that they're doing there aren't important, but it's like you need to find a way to focus on those um and just cut out some of the other extraneous stuff. Um and yes, mm-hmm. I, I definitely think that. And in all honesty, this this yeah. I don't think this could have been a movie because I do think you need at least four episodes and each of these episodes is at least 45 minutes long for the most part. So I think that's understandable, Um, but it didn't need to be as long as it was. And, And so, yes, yes. So interestingly enough is that Natalie Holt, who does this music, she also did the music for Kenobi. And so uh mm-hmm. what did you think of the work that gets done here for uh the uh, musical score throughout the show?
0: Honestly, I loved it. I thought the theme she came up with was yeah, terrific. I thought so too. And I, I can honestly say, and controversial hot take, I, I think that her work here is better than what she did for Kenobi. We talked about Kenobi. Yeah. Else you know, I think that Kenobi's score left a little to be desired. But this score, I love the theme. I love the way it was used. I love the incidental music. I thought it was really catchy, really memorable, and appropriate. And worked really cool. Yeah. And so th- this this is one of those ones where I'd be like, this is a calling card sort of score where I hear this music and I go, okay, this is I'm interested in what this composer has to do. Because she obviously got, I think, just the exactly right, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to use the word tone. That feels cheap, but she got the exact right vibe with the music. It worked regardless of whether you were on a planet with a giant smoke monster reminiscent of Stranger Things, or you were in the TVA, or you were on an alien planet. The music worked all across the board. That's that's not easy to do, and it. I, I think she was very successful with this score. Yeah,
1: no, I agree. I I think uh, one of the things that she was able to do is catch the weirdness of the show, uh, and at the same time, mm-hmm. uh, key into some of the emotional moments, um, which is really important. And the, just kind of the the way she combined some of the classic score tendencies with. Uh, synthetic and and uh, um, synthesized music was great. So mm-hmm. no, I, I think this is a, a, a superior score to what she did with Kenobi as well. And in all honesty, you know, with Kenobi, it's it's just it didn't sound Star Warsy enough when you're doing Obi Wan Kenobi. It should sound more like John Williams. It's a little f-
0: and it's a little right. And to that point, it's a little freer in Marvel. You have a little bit more room to add your own yes, stamp, as yes. it were. Yes, great. There's point. less expectation yep. of what that that audio signature is going yeah. to be like.
1: Yeah, no, I think I think it's 100 percent true, and in many ways, you're only comparing it to to just other Marvel scores and how it fits in this show. And I think you rightly pointed out just it fits really well with the show itself, uh, and. You know, it it has, every once in a while, that kind of, like, slight, like, almost Blade Runner-inspired kind of sounds every once in a while, which is also perfect for the type of, you know, thing that we're doing in this show. So, no, I I really agree. Um, Well, you know, I'm really interested, just before we kind of, like, round down, you know, like... Was there anything else that stuck out to you here and the first viewing that uh, and your first run through the show that you either really liked or was there anything else that you found that, you know, just didn't quite hit the mark for you?
0: I just, I really have to harp on the length. Six episodes doesn't feel like a lot on paper, but it felt like a lot at certain points. And on nights where I was tired, where I was watching this, it was a little tough to get through the train episode. Yeah. Yeah. Just I took agree. a bit too long for its own good. And there were certain things where Lady Sith was great. <laughs> that was a great cameo. But it also went on a little too long. Not not excessively too, not so long that I was like, okay, already it was just, okay. okay. All right. You, you, you're, you're right up against that barrier here. You're in, you're, you're in that gray, not gray, but like you're in that orange zone, like RPM on your car. Yeah. It's like, yeah, that you're green, 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 green. Yeah. Oh, yellow, yellow. Oh, okay. We're in orange right now. You're about to hit red. So they didn't hit red, but it was like, yeah, this is, this is going a little too much here. Um, so, the, the, the effects work being a little eh at points, but the cinematography overall, like, when it's not those comp shots that disappoint, the cinematography was great. Like, the colors. I agree. The way yep. that, that they stood out, that the characters were able to stand out against the backgrounds, very evocative of the four color comics. Mm. Like, That's really evocative yeah. of that. And very appropriate for it being Loki, because the last time I heaped that specific praise on something was, at, at least to this degree, was actually Thor. Because I, if you remember, that's what I loved about what, what yep. Kenneth Branagh yep. and his team did with that one, was it looked, without looking like a comic book, or looking too Joel Schumacher <laughs> homage about Thank it. God. Like, it... Well, it felt that it, it was that very, very comfortable, warm, nostalgic feel of yep. old yep. reading those old newsprint comic books really effectively done. Like just the cinematography, just I really have to heap a lot of praise on it.
1: No, so I agree with you. That's where because I, am. I, I think yeah. that, you know, with the TVA and with the cinematography and the lighting and all that, what they really did so well is that. That production design and everything felt so familiar and weird all at the same time. That's what's great about it, you know? Um, mm-hmm. And so I, I could not agree with you more. Well, I'm really interested because, you know, I had no idea how you would respond to the show uh, because, uh, you, know, we, you know, you hadn't seen it before. So I am fascinated to see where you do land with your ratings for Loki. This sort of surprises even myself. I was
0: at a point where I even heard some very lackluster things from people saying that they didn't really care for Loki, that they thought it was eh. And so I was going into it saying, "Oh great, okay. This is this is just going to continue that slog that I'm I'm at with Marvel and I was surprised because this honestly maybe my my expectations were being so low helped in some way or something like that. But I was, I was legitimately surprised by how much I enjoyed it overall. I was pleasantly surprised by it because I I just think so much of it works. There are things that don't. But this was something where I had legitimate enjoyment and could see myself going back and watching the show again. So um, do you want my rating first or do you want my ranking let's, first? Yes, rating let's first, go right? with the
1: rating first.
0: Very easy for me to be, because I'm balancing that whole thing of pleasantly surprised, it's easy to get caught up in that moment and rate too generously. And so I'm being very conscious of that. I'm going to give it a solid three and a half. There's room to grow as I think about it, but it's definitely a three and a half. That's its baseline. That is its absolute baseline. Like, it couldn't go lower than a three and a half. I could be talked into a four, but again, being so surprised by it, too easy to get swept up in that. So I'm going to go with a three and a half.
1: No, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm absolutely at a three and a half as well. And, you know, that comes with my second watch through. And I think the three and a half uh, is specifically because we have a show that is too long and i can't really give it a 4 because i'm not appreciating the fact that i'm having to watch so much of it um and that's a problem for me uh as it was for you and so but what is interesting is that rewatching the show it actually went in a direction in my rankings uh that i had had before so Interesting. I know, I know. I'm so I'm real and I'm really struggling. We might have to talk when I get there, John, about what you think, but I can't wait to see where you're going to rank Loki in your MCU rankings as we've moved forward.
0: Now see, this is this is always fun. This is always always fun because we know that I go back and forth and I have these just absolutely ridiculous uh sorts of things uh that 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 go on with me. But Uh, I'm going to go through, I'm going to start at the top, and then I think I even sort of surprised myself with where Loki winds up. Because Captain America, the Winter Soldier, reigning king, will never be deposed, probably. Iron Man 3, Ant-Man, Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 2, Iron Man, Avengers Endgame, Black Panther, Guardians of the Galaxy, Doctor Strange... Here's where we get into the weird territory, man. I think I'm putting Loki next. Wow. And then we have Civil War, First Avenger, Ant-Man and the Wasp, Incredible Hulk, Avengers Infinity War, Thor, Spider-Man, Homecoming, Avengers, Howard the Duck, WandaVision, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Spider-Man Far From Home, uh, Thor, The Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Ragnarok, Avengers Age of Ultron, and then uh, really bringing up the... The rear here, Captain Marvel, <laughs> so yeah, Loki winds up in a in a pretty respectable, like right at the threshold of 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 top tier uh for me because and it's because even though it's quote unquote too long, mm-hmm. I think it is interesting enough it's more interesting than what's going on in civil war, and its depth elevates it above you know yeah? something like first wow. Avenger, which I truly enjoy, but it's. First Avenger's not very complex, mm-hmm. whereas this is yeah. complex and has a really interesting philosophical thing at the end of it all.
1: Man, that's awesome. So that's where I end up. Well, I, I appreciate what you did there because it actually made me think really difficultly and I think people are going to be surprised. Uh-oh. Loki. No, I'm just kidding.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, that's a... I, <laughs> no, nobody's buying that one. Of course. No, no, no. Winter
1: Soldier, Iron Man, Iron Man 3, Civil War... Avengers Endgame, The First Avenger, Black Panther, Guardians 2, Ant-Man, Doctor Strange, The Incredible Hulk, Spider-Man Homecoming, Guardians of the Galaxy, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and here's where it got crazy. Loki jumped over Avengers, Far From Home, and Infinity War. Yeah, so... Ant Man of the Wasp, Loki, Avengers, Far From Home, Infinity War, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, Dark World, Iron Man 2, Thor, Howard the Duck, Age of Ultron, Captain Marvel, WandaVision, Ragnarok. That's the bottom right now. Wow. Yeah.
0: Amazing.
1: So I Amazing. know I know, I know. And and I I am right there with you in, in the sense that I just even feel like what Loki is doing, in all honesty, is more interesting than what they do in Avengers. There's some great stuff in Avengers, but I just, mm-hmm. you know, like, I, I think it's the performances here that I love so much, and Hiddleston and Wilson are so good together, I'd rather rewatch this show, possibly, um, if I have the time, you know, so. hmm well, John, I, I can't wait uh, till next time. We're going to finally reach a movie. You know, the MCU is still apparently a cinematic universe. Uh, it's not just a TV show land anymore. Um, apparently, it's, it's not uh, TV land. We're going to be talking about Black Widow. Uh, she's finally going to get her own movie, John. It, after all this time, after all the time that we've spent on this show talking about how she deserves her own movie, Black Widow. Wait, she's dead. Huh, that's weird. Now she's getting her own movie? Anyway, we'll talk about it next time. Uh but John, where can people find you if they wanted to catch up with you?
0: Well, look for me as Kessel Junkie on your social network of choice, K E S S E L J U N K I E, and we'll trade notes about different things whether it's about the sacred timeline or why Captain Marvel may never ever be out from the bottom of that list. Uh, But you can also find me over on the Nerd Party Network co-hosting two shows. One of them is called House Lights. I mentioned it earlier where we talk about the works of directors and uh, we we have some crazy combinations that are a lot of fun. And then, of course, I co-host what I feel is a delightful Star Wars show called Aggressive
1: Negotiations. And I co-host that with you, Mr. Matthew Rushing. And it is a blast to be a part of that show with you. Uh, So I hope everybody will check it out. Of course, you can also find me on social media under the name Matt Rushing 2 Twitter Instagram Letterboxd Vero all of those places you can also find me with the regular 602 Club show as well as Snyder Cuts with John here in the feed uh, you can also find me doing literary tracks about the books and the comics of Star Trek The Orb about Star Trek Deep Space Nine Warp 5 about Star Trek Enterprise Saddle Up about Star Trek Strange New Worlds and The Artificial Tango about Star Trek Picard Thank you, everyone, so much for joining us. Avengers!